1: Welcome back to another episode of Superhuman Radio. This is a premiere show on a premiere day. As you know, I haven't been doing shows on Fridays for quite some time since we stopped doing Casual Friday with Elisa Profumo. and uh, But we are going to start doing a show every other Friday uh, with Dr. Carl Page, who you'll see in just a moment. And this show is called The Pep Talk. And why is that? It's because peptides are important and we need to be educated about them. And quite often you will probably be better educated about them than the physicians that you will see. And so we will explore the world of magical peptides. Peptides have the possibility of changing medicine forever. Why? Because peptides are cellular messages that can correct problems instead of the types of pharmaceuticals that just mask uh, the symptoms. And quite frankly, uh, there is lots of uh, – the first show we're going to do today is Growth Hormone secretagogues. This is kind of a, a remedial course. A lot of us know something about this, uh, but not everything. And the reason I'm doing this as our, our flagship show is because there are commercials right now for really, really BS products that claim to raise growth hormone. Uh, they're over the counter. Uh, really – if they do raise growth hormone, it's not to the levels that you need your growth hormone levels to be raised in order to see therapeutic effects from them. Um, and so it's time to stop being robbed because your doctor can prescribe secretagogues that will actually raise growth hormone levels to youthful levels again uh, without the threat of uh, breaking the law and uh, and also without the uh, possibility of uh, them not working, which you see quite often with a lot of these supplements. So let me go ahead and bring my my guest on the show, and that is Dr. Carl Page. How are you, Dr. Page?
2: Doing well. Can you hear me well? Yeah, we can hear you great. Thank you very much. Okay, okay.
1: So, uh, you've been on the show before. We we talk about lots of fun things, you and I. Uh, and you are a one of the uh, masterminds in, involved with the uh, uh, International Peptide Society. I do I do want... I don't know if you can see yourself in your camera, but I need you to m- move your camera so that you're a little bit... There we go. A little bit further there to the go. left. I need you, to, need you to go... There we go. That's perfect. That's perfect. You are one of the masterminds uh, involved with the International Peptide Society. You're actually... Uh, in a a leader division there. Uh, So before we even talk about the peptides, uh, what is the International Peptide Society and what does it mean for physicians all over the country today?
2: Well, it's all over the the world. You know, it has international um, uh, attendance. So its mission really is to try to bring peptides, um, you know, integrity, make sure that the products that we prescribe and the patients have access to meet standards that are reproducible, have purity um, to help the physicians who prescribe these peptides identify and use pharmacies who we know have uh, viable and uh, pure products. Because uh, like you said earlier, the there's, these are all over the place in the public market. The patients who are just consumers who find these oftentimes don't know quite what they're getting, what's in it. It may have some of what you want in it. Uh, some other things that we don't really know what they are, or even degradation products of the uh, peptide that was supposed to be there. But since they're bioactive molecules, they break each other down and sometimes turn into things that you don't want. So we want to get clean product to the consumer and to the patient so we, we know that we get the effects we're desiring.
1: So I want to talk about that a little bit further. I want to expand on that. Uh, back in the day, there were lots of us on the bodybuilding forums, and we used to buy uh, growth hormone blue tops, and uh, we used to get them very, very cheap. And what I learned about those blue tops is there's there's, there's something in peptides called aggregate. And so if your target peptide is growth hormone, a certain percentage of that peptide in that bottle will not end up being growth hormone. It will be fragments of the original peptide. And that aggregate actually can cause an immune response to people uh, and, and be very harmful. These aggregates actually are, uh, uh, are, are foreign to the body, and the body sends the immune system after them. And, th- and, th- and so when we talk about getting good quality peptides, and I happen to know the, the company that produces peptides right now, uh, that the only place that the FDA is approved to uh, produce and fill prescriptions for peptides is, is TaylorMade Health. Uh, the stuff they produce is 100%
2: what you want it to be. That is very, very important, is it not? Absolutely. It, it, I think they're going to say greater than 99% you know, mass spec because yeah. uh, c- 100% is kind of impossible. It's like right. batting a 1,000. Um, but you're right. They're, uh, they are a quality product. And, you know, if you – Read some of the places online you buy peptides, and you look deep into the pages, which I do because I get presented this question by patients. Somewhere on there, it's going to say this is for research use only. It's not been mass spec for purity. And that's really the concern, which, you know, we know with uh, the products we're getting from TaylorMade, they've, they've produced that data to say they have purity, and that they've also been through rigorous um, federal state uh, pharmacy board FDA uh, analysis, and, you know, they've passed in fine colors.
1: Yeah. So uh, I want to put this up because this kind of plays into the discussion today. So Darcy Clark, uh, who is listening to the show from Canada or watching the show, said powdered deer penis doesn't raise IGF or GH levels. And this is kind of funny because there's all this stuff out there today. There's deer antler velvet. There is deer (laughs) penis. There's all this crazy stuff that people spend good money on that's supposed to raise growth hormone levels. But tell me if I'm wrong with this statement. If I'm a 50 or 60 year old guy and right now my current growth hormone production is near zero doubling that isn't going to really have any
2: therapeutic effect tripling it won't even have any therapeutic effect isn't
1: that a a true statement?
2: Well um, you know growth hormone production through age actually is is maintained for the most part it's really the releasing of the growth hormone that's Mm -hmm. impaired Um, so so, you know you want to Enhance production, but really the problem is if it doesn't get released, then you don't get the benefit of it, and all the downstream IGF one spikes and and you know subcellular mitochondrial impact that and pleiotropic effect that it has on all of the receptors at multiple different locations in the body. So uh, you you want to release the growth hormone, and that's where the secretagogues I think that you mentioned at the start of the show come into play. Also people
1: who rely on growth hormone, which is the single form, a 191 amino acid form that's very popular, they're really missing out. Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale came on my show uh, probably a decade ago and talked about the fact that using secretagogues is a better choice because your pituitary produces a medley of growth factors when it's
2: producing growth hormone. Is that true? That's correct. And and, uh... You know, they also you miss when you just use straight growth hormone the the natural pulsatile release of the hormone as well. The body really is a pulsatile electric. You know, it works on waves of, of release of things, especially in the hormone world. You know, you don't just continuously secrete testosterone or continuously secrete growth hormone. You have a a spike or a release of it, and then and then um, you know the level will drop again otherwise you'll get receptor desensitization or down regulation yeah, right and this is why we see oral compounds
1: like MK677 actually don't work well they work well the initial the initial period of time they work well for maybe a week or two but then we actually start to see a down regulation of growth hormone production and in elderly people we see some really nasty side effects including uh, uh anxiety. I mean a lot of the older people that were in the original MK677 research, they dropped out of the study because they didn't feel well. So it's really important to 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 remain in that biologically uh, uh, preferred pulse that the body likes just raising it and keeping it up there actually has deleterious effects, as you point out on especially on on receptor sensitivity.
2: Well, there are definitely non-physiologic effects, non-desirable effects. You know, almost all of the hormones in the body are going to have that, you know, natural pulsatile rhythm that happens, you know, no different than circadian rhythm throughout the day, Um, you know, parathyroid hormone, testosterone, just pretty much all of them you can think of the big ones that you might deal with, and especially growth hormone, you want to have that uh, natural intermittent on and off switch effect as opposed to just a continuous blast of it. I'm going to, we're going to, so people are asking questions about
1: AOD 9604 or what's known as uh, fragment 176 to 191. I want to talk about that later. I don't want to get off on that now. Uh, I I have a lot of good information about that. It's not effective and people shouldn't be using it, but that's, that's later in the show. So let's talk about the secretagogues. What are the go-to effective secretagogues that a physician can currently prescribe uh, for their patient and how do they work?
2: Uh, you have really, uh, GHRH, growth hormone releasing hormones and growth hormone releasing peptides. Combination of those is really desirable because you, uh, release the growth hormone, but with the growth hormone releasing peptides, you also get down regulation of somatostatin. So it suppresses the uh, desensitization. Um, the big names you might want to look at would be, um, um, you know, um, excuse me, um, CJC twelve ninety five is our most effective one. Tesamorelin, um, you know, is a more potent but short term one that can be used for fat cutting or visceral body fat loss, or even some data on carotid endomal thickness suppression. Um, you know, probably two of the most common ones, and then you would have your um, um, Ipamorelin as the uh, GHRP. It would be preferred. Mm-hmm. We try to stay with the lower potency ones to prevent desensitization short-term use of the high-potency ones is effective but they should be kept at short-term use for maximum
1: Uh uh-oh we just lost the camera that's not good um stay with us everybody we're not going to drop out i'm going to go ahead and uh and just run some music for a second while we try to get dr page back Uh, uh oh that sucks I'll edit this out of the final video, so don't worry about that. Let's let me just wait until he reconnects, and we may have to just go to audio only. I hate to do this uh, because it's, it, I love the interaction. Um, let's just see what happens here. Give it another minute. This is the only bad thing about doing a Facebook live event. Uh, you know, with cameras being what they are and internet connections being what they are, it seems to be. Oh, here he comes! Here he comes! Here he comes! Here he comes! Okay, let's just put them right back in there, and I'll just edit. I'll just edit that out. I'll edit that out of the final video, so don't worry about it. So, so let let me jump in here and ask you a question. Um, so the uh, imperamorelin is a is a ghrelin type. Correct. Okay, so that's going to help create a pulse, right? The CJC twelve ninety five is designed to increase the baseline production of growth hormone, but you still need to create that pulse throughout the day in order to truly leverage the effects of growth hormone. So you use the imprimorelin and, and what about the modified growth factor one through 29? Is that just? Semorelin? Yes, that's semorelin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So would
2: you use those together to create the pulse? You can, um, you know, imprimorelin is probably a better choice again. So you don't, uh, and you create desensitization, um, you know, lower potency, but uh, frequent use is better than sustained, long-term use, and especially when you get into the adding modified uh, versions of it that might have a long-term sustained release uh, at stimulus, then you get the, more of the side effects. Essentially, you know, um, um, cortisol effects, prolactin effects, which which you don't want that, um, and then you get desensitization and loss of the uh, overall impact of, of using the GHRH for growth hormone release. Okay, so
1: let, let's stay with this. So a, a typical protocol that a doctor could prescribe now that is kind of promoted through IPS would be for the patient to take CJC-1295, which is a especially modified form of growth hormone-releasing hormone that attaches to albumin and stays active for up to seven days. But don't they recommend like a, a one milligram injection every three days to keep it from
2: tapering? You can use that. Probably a more um, ideal dose would be using about a, um, 100, uh, 100 micrograms um, twice daily, you know, and, and pulsing like that. Sometimes, if you're trying to cut, you might go to three times a day. Um, if you're just in maintenance, you might go to one a day. You start getting a lot of the anabolic effects at the twice a day level. Um, Short term use at three times a day. Sometimes I'll throw in a- around workouts with, with patients.
1: Now, now CJC twelve ninety five is the is the long acting form of growth hormone releasing hormone. I know there's lots of people that say CJC twelve ninety five with the drug affinity complex or without the drug affinity complex. Isn't without the drug affinity complex just growth hormone releasing hormone?
2: It, CJC without DAC is is uh, not short CJC. acting yeah. Right, and then CJC with DAC is the long acting. The drug affinity compound creates the long acting. The most common product used is CJC uh, plus ipamorelin. You know, CJC without plus ipamorelin, and, and that creates. Um, you, they're actually can be mixed. They're delivered in the same vial and can be dosed concurrently. They're stable in solution together. Whereas many of the peptides, because they are bioactive, you know, they can't be stored in the same vial. Shouldn't even be drawn up in the same syringe and injected together because of their uh, bioactivity, will degrade them or create non-desirable uh, byproducts.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit. So what you're really saying is, in layman's terms, is that the bonds that actually... So, so an amino... A, a peptide is nothing more than a strand of amino acids in a certain order, a sequence, and the bonds that attach them either have very strong or very weak relationships so that once that peptide is in an environment it starts to actually fragment and become all these other peptides. And so what you're saying is if you put peptides in the same vial or in the same syringe that don't work well together, they actually start to come apart in the syringe. Those bonds start to attract and they change. And what you're actually injecting may not be what you wanted in the first place.
2: Absolutely. That's not recommended at all to, to mix peptides that have not been researched to improve and to maintain stability over time and still keep that 99% and greater uh, mass spec, um, you know, um, purity, uh, and, and very few peptides have been approved and studied to the level to say it's safe and, and appropriate to use like that. CJC with ipamrelin is has passed that bar. Okay, so um, like Tessa if you wanted to use it with, uh, you have it comes lyophilized, so it's so unstable, it has to be mixed in and then injected right before using, and you have to use the Ipamirilen the, uh, separately.
1: So Dylan Gutro, who lives in, uh, I think he moved to Texas. He used to live in, in Louisiana. He said that he's currently using imprimarillin and CJC 1295 uh, two times daily. So how would you recommend using that two times daily? First thing in the morning and then right before bed? Or what, what do you recommend?
2: Uh, the ideal times would be uh, right before bed for sure. That's always the time because your maximum release is going to be during not, the nighttime. So you always want to get that one. You want to avoid... Fat, or you want to avoid protein a couple hours before, because they will suppress it. Particularly fatty meals, um, and then in the morning when you first get up, you would do another CJC Ipa, because um, it's your fasted in the morning already. Uh, you know you're not eating; it's a convenient time to do it.
1: Uh, here's a question. Let's answer this. He said, "So is is CJC and GHRP six stable together?" Now, currently, the FDA has said to compounding pharmacies that a that are providing and filling prescriptions. That CJC uh, GHRP six is no longer available, right?
2: Correct. It's not available at this time. Uh, you know, that's I don't understand everything the FDA does, but that's that's where we are right now with that one. So, what can you use instead of GHRP six? The Uh Yes, uh, that would be the, the next. That would be a better choice, anyway. I would argue for long term use. Uh,
1: is it does does uh, since it's a it's a grelin does it also increase appetite? Uh,
2: yes, it can. It's not as potent at doing that. Um, but, yes, it has act like activity. It's just very similar, a modified uh, fragment of, of the molecule or the, the peptide. Would
1: you say that if you are getting a great appetite increase that you're probably seeing a lot of overflow, that you're seeing cell, the receptor saturation that you shouldn't see that kind of appetite increase if you're using a dose that's 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 comparable to your physiology?
2: Well um, you know with you know if you at some point you're only gonna get a hundred percent of that release spike anyway. You know, you you can't make it be hundred and fifty on two hundred and you may be wasting your money by going to the higher doses right. and, and, and it's if you can get ninety eight percent of a spike at a you know hundred on on, the CJC IPA dose, split it up twice a day, and then when you add those two ninety-eight percent spike curves, you actually got more release as opposed to just going to a higher dose at one single dose a day. I know it's more convenient, but it's certainly not the most um, cost-effective and even uh, for the end-organ effects uh, use of the product to to take it as a large once-a-day dose.
1: Now, earlier you you, you injected the, no pun intended, you injected into the discussion that, you know, there, there is somatostatin at play here. So the body right. knows it doesn't want a lot of growth hormone. So there is a built-in break mechanism, and that is somatostatin. So uh, it, it, by using this approach where you're injecting a few times a day, do you actually kind of keep somatostatin at bay and it doesn't activate as much? or well, what do you have to – there, are there techniques to improve – uh, the or suppress the release of somatostatin to get more out of your peptides you're using?
2: Well, um, you know, the, the multiple-day dosing is appropriate, not using large doses all at once and splitting the dose and combining a GHRH plus a GHRP are all effective ways to, to you know, help keep that somatostatin um, impact suppressed.
1: Interesting. I want to take a quick commercial <laughs> break, and when we come back, we have lots of questions from the listeners and also, we're going to talk about AOD nine six zero four. I have lots of information about it. It's something I've done a lot of research into uh, over the years. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pep Talk with Dr. Carl Page. We will be right back. There are a few products that I believe in, the way I believe in Cansee eye drops. I've been using Cansee for 6 months now and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is I've been using Cansee eye drops for 11 years now and I credit Cansee eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. Cansee eye drops improve the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both use and endorse CANCI Eye Drops. Go to WiseChoiceMedicine.com and learn about how Canse Eye Drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision
0: today. Wanting to try CBD but not sure what to trust? Check out H-Hemp. H Hemp. H Like healthy, happy, honest. HM CBD system makes it simple with one CBD tincture available in three great tasting flavors. A super powerful breath spray that GQ magazine named a top CBD product and a topical CBD balm that is simply the bomb relax, and feel better naturally with the H-Hemp CBD system, available at hemp.com
1: Eat dessert again with the new 100% natural line of high-protein, low-carb Quest protein bars. I love lemon cream pie and strawberry cheesecake, but you can choose from chocolate peanut butter, coconut cashew, or cinnamon roll as well. No matter which one you try, you'll feel like you're eating
0: dessert. But this is no ordinary dessert with 20 grams of high-quality whey protein isolate, 17 grams of prebiotic fiber and sweetened with stevia these bars will make you feel like you're cheating but you're not go to superhumanradio.com and click the quest protein bar
2: banner ad to learn more about these clean and delicious protein bars
1: are you looking for a better way to absorb the nutrients you know you need do what I do and start your day with lipospheric supplements from Live On Labs. Unlike pills and powders, Live On's patented liposomal encapsulation technology transports nutrients like vitamin C, vitamin B, glutathione, acetyl-L-carnitine, and alpha-lipoic acid to where they need to be. Yourselves. Visit try.liveonlabs.com forward slash Carl to learn why I take these supplements every day to help me perform in the gym and in life. That's try.liveonlabs.com
0: slash Carl Evolution just got kicked up a notch.
1: Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Carl Page. This is the first episode of the Pep Talk uh, where we talk about peptides because they're very, very important. So we have a couple questions. Let's get these up there. So Brad uh, Cumbie says... What's the recommended dosage for IPA CJC-1295 with DAC? It says without
2: DAC is what I'm seeing. Is oh, it? yeah,
1: you're right. It does W-O. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wh- okay. which, 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 which I don't think, I mean, I don't mean to pick at scabs here, but we shouldn't even call it CJC-1295 without DAC because it's not CJC-1295 unless it's that long-sustained peptide. But go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Well, without the drug affinity compound, it's short-acting essentially, and the standard dosage would be uh, five units on an insulin syringe or 0.05 mLs um, uh, twice daily, which is going to give you that 100 microgram dose of each um, twice daily. So 100 a micrograms, dose.
1: 100 micrograms, and that's yeah. And, and, and that, that, but that's different for women, isn't it true that it's 50 micrograms for women and 100 micrograms for men?
2: You know, what I tend to see with women patients is you give them a lower dose. Some of them are fine with it. Other ones uh, can tell a difference. And, you know, you can go somewhere between that, um, you know, five units. I I adjust it, basically. Um, If they don't notice an impact with it, we'll raise the dose. It really comes down to cost effectiveness. You want to use the lowest effective dose that's getting you the impact you want.
1: And then you also get the best results for the longest period of time as well. Correct. Another right. question came from uh, Patrick Rogers. He says, is CJC and GHRP6 stable together? Well, did we answer that question, already? I don't think we no. did answer it, and I'm going to have to say
2: I don't think so. But, but uh, I would actually call my pharmacist and, and get confirmation on that. You know, I wouldn't mix any of these peptides in a syringe together that have not been approved like that and not inject them at the same location unless you have solid data and reproducible data on, on purity. Isn't it true that when you
1: inject the peptide, uh, it actually seeks out the receptors closest to the ejection site first?
2: Of course, yeah. Just from a pure, um, you know, is, it's going to go there first. And you have a lot of pleotrophic impact. These things don't just go to your pituitary gland. Go to multiple organ sites and tissues and have an impact. That's why they work so well, actually. It's not just dependent totally on your pituitary impact well and
1: and the other thing is there was a study done probably about 10 years ago 12 years ago that showed that growth hormone releasing hormone in its in and of itself has a growth uh, promoting uh, benefit before it even stimulates the production of growth hormone so these uh these a lot of these uh secretagogues in and of themselves have a value in their original state
2: Absolutely. You know, they have their own set of effects that can be very similar uh, to the in, in product it causes release from, and they also work in the same way in that they can have some of that overdosage effect and have some of the negative that you see with uh, growth hormone replacement or secretagogues.
1: What do you believe an optimal IGF-1 level is in, in your practice when you are, and, and also how do you test for IGF-1? Do you just talk, talk about those two?
2: Uh, You know, we test initially on patients to see where they are, and I'll test downstream sometimes on patients. It's so hard to hit that spike and trough and up and down. It's not really clinically useful for the most part. So chasing around IGF-1 levels, many people will come in and think of it like that spike and curve, or or spike. it goes up and goes down. Um, I don't know when I'm drawing the lab relative to when that. It's going to happen. Right. So if I get a really low level, but the patient comes in and they've lost, uh, you know, visceral body fat built some muscle, they say their hair, skin, and nails are improved and they got more vitality. I don't care what their IGF one level is. You know, that's not really going to be a relevant monitor uh, or parameter to monitor to tell whether it's working or not.
1: If someone is using growth hormone secretagogues with their physician like yourself, um, what period of time do you wait? To test to see if they're working, if there's efficacy, and then do you use a 24 hour urine collection to, to test for that?
2: Uh, you want to, you know, give that if they've not been on anything ever and, and are come in in a you know, depleted, uh, essentially significant clinical clinical manifestations of aging, maybe appropriate for their chronological age or beyond it. Um, you know, I don't need a lab to tell me that that person would benefit from these things. My labs are gonna be primarily look for contraindications, make sure they don't already have some reason that I may not want to augment growth hormone at this point. But clinically, you can make that call with the patient. Many times the labs I might do to make the patient comfortable that this would be an appropriate course, or, you know, look, you have an IGF-1 of 20, you know, that's pretty low. and they they like to see the numbers to make them comfortable with it. But we talk with them, walk them through the process of why um, measuring that level is not really our best monitor of clinical response. So I, I, I've a,
1: never I've never paid attention to IGF one because if you eat dairy and you eat beef, your IGF one levels will be higher, right? And 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 has nothing to do with what you, with how much growth hormone your body is producing.
2: Right, right. It's not a great monitor. It's it's a you know I, I'll check it initially and then maybe once a year to make sure i'm not missing something else but i'm not using it to monitor the use of the peptide so when
1: when people start using that look the, the nice thing about this stuff is unlike the supplements like i'm going to mention a name sarah vital is all over the internet all over tv today trying to tout to women uh that it'll raise your growth hormone and it really doesn't if it raises it it's so minuscule it's meaningless but when when someone gets on a legitimate secretagogue protocol like this, CJC 1295 and Impramorellin, twice a day in the appropriate doses, over what period of time do they start to manifest changes that tell them, oh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to really feel better, I'm starting to look better?
2: Uh, initially, the first of all, side effects are extremely low with the introduction of these products. So. Uh, you'll get flushing reactions occasionally, um, maybe one out of 10, one out to 100 times. They're relatively benign. Uh, they go away in five to seven minutes. Ten minutes maybe is a long one. Um, once the pa- You have to inform the patient they might have that, but once they're aware of it, they're usually not disturbed by it, and it's not a reason to discontinue it. So short-term, that's about the only thing you experience other than site injection issues. Occasionally, you'll get some redness or a little histamine flare around the site. In a person who is highly inflammatory, uh, has a lot of maybe undiagnosed or unmonitored autoimmune disease or underlying inflammatory co-infections, that person may actually feel worse because you have upregulated the inflammatory process as well as some of the good stuff you wanted. So I try to screen for that early on to make sure we're not going to diagnose an autoimmune or inflammatory disease by giving them something that puts it in overdrive. So,
1: so wait, wait, wait. I want to stop you. So are you saying that someone who is knows that they have an autoimmune Immunity issue that this protocol is, is contraindicated for them?
2: I'm not going to say contraindicated, but you need to get that under control first before you would use this. It may have some benefits long term, but since it's going to upregulate regeneration, upregulate cellular metabolism, mitochondrial effect, those are all involved in part of triggering and powering that autoimmune and inflammatory response as well. So if that's not under control, you want to get that under control first.
1: How long do people start to see the benefits? Do they say, "Oh, my skin's getting better, my hair's getting better," you know? And and what what realistically can people? Say? I mean, those growth hormone commercials tell you that everything from the wallpaper in your bathroom is going to look is better. And I mean, they say everything from growth. What do really would people expect as the benefits, and how long did, does it take for them to see them?
2: I tell them to wait at least two weeks to f- to four weeks, depending on the patient and how low or how depleted they were at the initiation of the management. Because first of all, you've got to upregulate all of the machinery to start you know, telling it to make more growth hormone and, and all of the appropriate uh, machinery to release a peptide. Uh, even receptors at the cell level to receive uh, the growth hormone-releasing hormone or the growth hormone-releasing peptide, they have to be they're being used again now, so they may not be present at a significant level to get maximum impact from it. So two to four weeks. The type of things you will see initially are generally improved sleep. Um, you know, deep sleep will be noticed initially, and after that, sense of well-being. Uh, it takes a while a while to grow new hair, new skin, and nails, which, you know, I noticed. Obviously, it didn't work so well up here, but as far <laughs> as, like, um, skin, facial hair, nails, you know, that type of thing will appear initially. Bone density, long-term, you know, it takes a while to grow bones. Lean body mass, you know, is going to take a month or two to happen uh, to start noticing that change in body composition. Um, Visceral fat or or carotid intimal thickness or things like that, especially with tessamaryllin, you know, that will take a little bit longer time to see those type of impacts.
1: Um, I know that it's hard to say what it would cost for somebody because it varies by physician and so on. But if someone said to themselves, you know, I'm going to give this a try. I want to go to my doctor, and my doctor happens to already belong to IPS or is not, is, is not unwilling to join to get all the prescribing information that they need. What, what should someone budget for a legitimate growth hormone secretagog protocol that's actually going to work instead of some junk supplement out there?
2: Well, to first of all, to put budgeting in perspective, you know, I'll, I'll have a lot of lady patients and I'll, you know, we'll discuss, you know, what they're doing as far as cosmetically or topical creams or, you know, some of them have, uh, you know, uh, Botox and things like that, which I'm not saying they shouldn't do any of that, but, uh, that's their call. But, you know, I try to look at what their overall budget is for just feeling better, looking better, and, and try to put that into that budget. A, um. In what we tend to find is if we can get any sort of peptide or management therapy uh, therapy in the realm of what your cell phone is for a bill is per month um, you know a hundred hundred and fifty bucks many people can swing that um, younger you are you might be able to cycle on and off the peptide and have some downtime with it. The older you are you're more likely to want to be on a more continuous regimen and to to maintain that because uh, you've usually lost a lot of function or, and effect of that over time so the patients, I'll say, try this for one vial. You know, one vial of CJC uh, IPA it's about 75 to 80 days, you know, depending on if you're consistent with your dosing. Um, I'll say, try it for that long and then come back and we'll see how you're doing, see what your clinical response is, look at some biometrics and maybe some labs. Um, and then I'll ask the patient to tell me how they feel. You know, do they want to continue it? And the um, since I've been doing this, the majority, I'll say 85, 95% of patients are like, i'm okay with that i'm willing to make that investment in my health and how i feel and the 10 percent or so that may not continue sometimes it is financial they have to make choices uh, about whether you know what they want to invest in for wellness and um, you know really that that concept of uh, not so much health care but uh, well well-being long-term is what they're shooting for
1: at what age should people start to consider a a growth hormone elevating protocol do you think
2: Uh, Early, really as early as possible. So, you know, even before they might need some sort of uh, peptide to raise it, you know, get adequate sleep, avoid alcohol abuse. You know, if they've got sleep apnea that's undiagnosed, you know, anything that's going to put a hit on your pituitary and your general function uh, is going to impact all of those pituitary releasing hormones. That's why often we see the guys with low T, they they don't sleep, you know, they have sleep apnea. So they're not triggering properly with. LH to have adequate hormone levels there. So ladies, for sure, by the time they would hit menopause, because that combination of um, growth hormone plus um, estrogen, progesterone in women has significant impact. And guys, as you know, 35 and up, I start to look and ask the questions. Patients may come in earlier before that, and they've usually got some underlying medical or health issue that might have impacted that. And we may use a, a peptide in a younger range uh, to help recovery. You know a GHRH GHRP combo if they've had mm-hmm. acute medical illness, wasting disease, things like that that, that might uh, trigger it from a medical standpoint before you start up. Yeah, it
1: out. yeah that, make, that makes perfect sense. Uh, what are what are the contraindications right off the bat? I mean, without getting deep into someone's medical history, that if somebody came in and said this to you, you'd say you know you're you probably shouldn't be worried about growth hormone right now. It, it's not like if somebody comes in and they have been diagnosed with the prostate cancer and they're and the doctor, they and the doctor have decided to sit and watch vigilance as opposed mm-hmm. to do anything. Would you still say, yeah, growth hormone will work for you?
2: Well, let me call the one other thing. on the last question It was really head injuries, you know, traumatic brain injuries, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, you know, veterans, you know, um, those are people who at a younger age may need support um, and see if they're going to recover or not. If they've not just totally cooked their pituitary. So, Patients that we'll screen them by history questions for cancer history, you know, active cancers wouldn't be appropriate to upregulate things right, that right. from the cell level up. Um, patients that are in that sort of five-year window after, um, you know, cancers, we want to get approval from their oncologist and, you know, ask them if they've got a reason that we couldn't do this. Um, it really kind of depends on the cancer. If you've had a, a basal cell or squamous cell frozen off your nose because you've used the sun, that's probably significantly different than... Um, you know, breast cancer or you know right. colon cancer. And it would depend on the particular diagnosis. The other issues, as far as not using, it would really be undiagnosed autoimmune disease, undiagnosed inflammatory disease. That that type of thing. You want to screen questionnaire and, and do appropriate labs to look for those if the if the screening test lead in that direction.
1: Doctor Mark Gordon, uh, who used to be a keynote speaker at all the A4M uh, meetings, who is now. Uh, very, very deeply involved with helping people that have TBI uh, get better. Uh, And his uh, go-to speeches were always about growth hormone. This is is almost 18, 17 years ago, Um, and he's been on my show numerous times over the years. And uh, one of the things that he brought to light was that something as innocuous as getting a a 360-degree dental x-ray before they went to these new low-output digital X-ray machines, uh, could actually cause pituitary function disruption and lead to a host of, uh, of downline hormone uh, interruptions, not only sex steroids but but growth hormone and even melatonin and so on. So the reality is that there's a lot of people out there who may not have ever had their bell rung but they actually may have some traumatic brain uh, injury of unknown origins. Are are there ways to do some sort of a challenge test to say, yeah, your pituitary is functioning, we just got to get it to squirt more growth hormone out? Uh,
2: There are ways to challenge uh, the pituitary, you know, challenge adrenal hormones. Uh, Your appropriate challenge test that some can be done on an outpatient, some are better to be done on an inpatient setting um, to see if it's still able to produce.
1: Uh-oh, I think we lost.
2: Then you're not oh, no. going to make releasing hormones. If the pituitary itself has been injured, you're not going to make the growth hormone itself. And that person may need actually growth hormone replacement if their whole pituitary has been injured. Radiation in particular, you know, I used to see this in the office that prickly guys with beards like mine would come with a little circular hair, a loss of hair spots on their face. And it's from dental x-rays. Uh, you know, where they would take the pictures of the molars and you'd just see a little neat circle where hair didn't grow for about four months. And, wow. You know, just, yeah, it, it's it's clearly there was some problems with the dosing and the shielding on, on those type of x-rays that I don't think has been evaluated, uh, you know, deeply in the literature. But it, you see it clinically. And of course, you're just guessing as to what it did inside.
1: Yeah. I want to take a uh, last commercial break. And when we come back, I want to talk about debunking some stuff out there. I want to talk about transdermal and or patch-delivered growth hormone. I want to get your opinion on that. And also, we'll talk about AOD 9604 uh, because I think that's an important one, and we have a question from one of the uh, viewers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of the pep talk. There are a few products that I believe in, the way I believe in Cansee eye drops. I've been using Cansee for 6 months now and the changes in my vision are nothing short of amazing. Wow, that's an old commercial. The truth is I've been using Cansee eye drops for 11 years now and I credit Cansee eye drops as being the reason that I do not need reading glasses at 58 years old. Cansee eye drops improves the quality and health of your eyes indefinitely. That's why I both use and endorse canCI eye drops go to wisechoicemedicine.com and learn about how can eye drops can improve the health of your eyes and the quality of your vision today
0: did you know that the u.s department of health actually patented cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants so clearly there is promise for cbd to help with a variety of issues h hemp's u.s grown cbd system is fully tested for purity and safety for daily balance, HM has the best tasting CBD tinctures available. Their Super Breath Blast delivers near immediate relief and relaxation while on the go. And for your muscles, joints, and temples, the Magic Balm works wonders. Relax and feel better naturally with the H-Hemp CBD system from HHEMP.com. Men and women, you've heard about hormone optimization. Do you feel like it's something you want to look into? RenewLifeRx.com is the place to start. Their doctors can help you with the solutions. RenewLifeRx.com has a simple process for lab work, consultation, and taking a deep dive into where your hormone levels can be improved. Superhuman radio listeners get 30% send off your initial lab work and consultation. Go to RenewLifeRx.com to schedule your no-obligation phone consultation today. Feel younger, get in better shape, and be more productive at RenewLifeRx.com. For the past four months, I've been keeping a secret.
1: Every night at bedtime, I tape my mouth shut with Somnifix strips. That's right, and here's why. Whether you snore or not, at some point in the night, almost all of us start breathing through our mouth. Since I've started using Somnifix strips, I've noticed that I sleep deeper and have seen improvements in my health, fitness, and cognitive function. That's because nose breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system and improves nitric oxide production. And that leads to improved sleep immunity, carbon dioxide, oxygen exchange, and much more. Oh, and if you do snore, it'll help you stop snoring. Try Somnifix risk-free. Go to somnifix.com forward slash shr. Get a free trial pack of Somnifix strips today. Whether your goal is to build muscle or burn fat, you'll find everything you need at Redcon 1. Need help getting a good night's sleep? Try Fade Out. Or the most popular pre-workout supplement will know that you are serious about your training. Need a testosterone booster that works? Check out Boomstick. Whatever you need, you'll find the best quality supplements on the market at Redcon 1. Go to Redcon1.com. That's R-E-D-C-O-N, the number one, dot com. Or go to SuperHumorRadio.net and click the Redcon 1 banner ad today. This is the Superhuman
0: Channel, where brawn and brains finally meet.
1: Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Carl Page. Dr. Page, plug your, uh, your clinic so people that are in the uh, driving distance of Louisville, Kentucky, who may want to see you.
2: Uh, Medical Transformation Center is the name, and it's medicaltransformationcenter.com. We see patients in a region uh, regionally and have patients literally all over the the world and and, uh, across the country that we've seen once and then have, um, you know, follow-ups with uh, remotely.
1: So let's talk about that real quick. So telemedicine uh, standards today is once the patient has been in with you one time in person, then you can do everything else you need to do via Skype or Zoom or some other uh, method of uh, of communicating with them and seeing them and, and talking with them.
2: As long as, you know, it's just no different than the telephone. It's just a little complicated from a, a medical legal standpoint because the technology is advanced faster than the rules, essentially. So, so that part's still catching up. So you have to try to remain HIPAA compliant, as you know, and you just keep an eye out for the, how that works and make sure whatever applicable laws that have been, are present or have been put in place you're being compliant with. So let's
1: talk about debunking some things, first of all. So let's talk about... So there is a a multi-level marketing company out there that will remain nameless because I'm not interested in plugging them. And then there's also a patch company uh, Mm -hmm. that makes a quote-unquote transdermal or patch-delivered growth hormone. And first of all, it's questionable, and I don't think anybody's ever tested to see if there's any growth hormone in them, number one. Number two, um, what I know about through-the-skin delivery is quite vast. Uh, I spent an early period of my life working with transdermals, and I know how the stratum corneum works. And anything over four to 500 Dalton doesn't get through the skin, and that's why you have to inject. And growth hormone, the actual 191 amino acid peptide is about 46 kilodalton, 46,000 Dalton. So what what are your thoughts on these uh, transdermally delivered uh, peptides like that?
2: Well, uh, you know, some peptides may get down to the size range that would be appropriate for that. Yes. And, and there's, you know, a thousand peptides. You know, not all of them are clinically applicable or used right now, but there's a lot more coming down the stream that uh, may fall into that category depending upon their size.
1: Their size, exactly.
2: Yeah, right. With with And they have the liposomal delivery systems that sometimes can enhance that. Um, you know, there's... Ionic ways to augment transfer Electro
1: electrophoresis is another one. Uh, and, right. and and and, th- and what we're talking about here 3M has an amazing thing called a micro needle patch. Now we're talking about something right. different. We're actually talking about a patch that has tiny little needles in it. So now you're really injecting, but you're doing it in a patch form. But right, talk right. about the 46 kilodalton uh, 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 folded peptide of growth hormone. Is that going to be delivered through the skin? With any of these uh, advanced methods?
2: I'm not aware of you know of any data that would make me comfortable using that clinically at this point. And you also get into, if it did absorb, you're still using straight gorth hormone in a non-pulsatile fashion. So I'm not sure that's what we would want to achieve anyway. Right.
1: Well, uh, okay, let's talk about this one. So I'm going to try to find Dylan uh, Gutro's uh, question. But he asked about uh, AOD 9604, which is also known as... Uh, Growth hormone fragment 176 to 191. Are you familiar with it?
2: Yes. Yeah. And it's really more for a lot of policies or weight loss has been its fat cutting or fat burning has been its primary use. And, um, you know, it can be very effective. You know, it's certainly better, at least in some of the, if you look at it on PubMed or some of the other things, better than a lot of the commercially available products for weight loss. Um, But it would be used more in a cycle, not ongoing. You know, you you would use it for a bit and back off of it, not continuous use. There's any time you overutilize a, something like that, you're going to get diminishing returns.
1: Well, it so so here's 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 what I know about it um, because I actually I actually just threw away about a dozen vials of it that were in my freezer for about two years. <laughs> um, so first of all, all of the research on AOD nine six zero four is in rodents.
2: Right. Uh, as, I don't know so I don't it. know
1: of a single human study that shows its lipolytic effects, not one. Um, and the way it supposedly works is by sensitizing the beta adrenergic network. Right. Uh, and so that means that it allows things like adrenal hormones to be more effective. So it's its effect is indirect of what we think of as growth hormone lipolytic right. effects. And uh, I have heard people tell me that in order to get it to work, you have to inject it six or seven times a day. And I say to myself, why? Why not just use a secretagogue, get the whole growth hormone panoply of, 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 of a growth factor panoply of, 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 of peptides produced, lose body fat, build muscle, like, because, because originally, AOD 9604, in my humble opinion, was kind of like seven keto DHEA. When DHEA first came out, people were like, "Oh, but it turns into testosterone and estrogen. That's harmful." But the seven keto version, it just it just affects thermogenesis. It didn't work. I think that a lot of people go, "Oh, yeah, the fragment is okay because it doesn't do all the other things growth hormone does. Like the other things growth hormone does is bad."
2: <laughs> That's what you want. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, it's something that I've used really in patients that maybe have hit a roadblock or been through several different things, and I'll throw it in as a, okay, let's see if this is going to give us a jump start. So, so that's really my clinical use of it, um, but, but not not uh, I, that's where I put it, you know, on, on the on the shelf, but but, but uh, not as my primary weight loss uh, protocol.
1: What I think AOD 9604 is good for is people who have adrenal dysregulation, uh, so I, and again, I'm not a physician. I'm just a guy, and I have I have no one can take anything away. I don't have a license, so I don't have to worry about medical license or coming after me. It but just it,
2: means you can't get sued, okay? For for it, you know, it's like yeah.
1: So 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 this is not this is not Doctor Page's opinion. This is my opinion. But if you if I had somebody who had adrenal dysregulation, high cortisol at night, low cortisol in the morning, brain fog. I would give them, and I know you can't give them GHRP six, but I would give them GHRP first thing in the morning because it elicits a cortisol response along with a uh, reduction in somatostatin, and I would give them AOD nine six zero four throughout the day to reestablish the the uh, the, the a- beta adrenergic sensitivity of the uh, of the of, of the tissue to start to become more sensitive to what little adrenal hormone this person is producing throughout the day and try to flip their circadian rhythm by making the landscape more sensitive, but by starting the day off by forcing a a pulse of, uh, uh, of, uh, of cortisol. What do you think about that?
2: I think that concept is, is legitimate. You know, there may be other things that you might use to help with the circadian rhythm with pineal cycling, like epitalin or, you know, using some other peptides, the DSIP, you know, to reset sleep cycle because that's usually that's probably where I would start with that because most of those patients are have sleep disturbance, irregular, inadequate sleep, and they need to cycle appropriately from a circadian standpoint. And a lot of times, their body will beta adrenergically reset once you get them sleeping properly.
1: Right, right, and melatonin. Let's not forget melatonin because that, absolutely that shuts yeah. cortisol. Melatonin shuts off DHEA production and, and cortisol production. Boom, like that. Yeah, because they're yeah. reciprocals of each other. Do did we miss this anything? This was
2: pep talk, so I didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But we, we, it's, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stray off once in a while. I have a feeling. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm looking to see if there's any other questions here. Uh, AOD nine six zero four versus testmorelin for fat loss. What do you
0: think?
2: Well, the the testmorelin data, you know, was in HIV patients. You know, it had the visceral adiposity, um, and it it is, it is positive in humans uh testing that that is is present that tells you you'll lose visceral adipose um it um also has some data uh, on carotid endable thickness too so it's my i would use that over the ld um personally in in the practice you have to be a little careful with it in ladies sometimes they'll strip um you know what i call lady fat you know she'll end up looking like a 12 year old boy as opposed to a lady yeah you don't want that no you don't want to overdo it you know
1: uh, here's another question from Patrick Rogers. He says, where's the best place to direct a private care doctor to help them become better educated about the use and benefits of peptide? Oh, man, I, I got to pay him for that question, right?
2: Yeah, he said it's a great lead in. I w- I International Peptide Society, that's where I would go. I mean, it's like uh, you've got the rock stars of that community there that are providing training. Um, it's, um, you know I've, I love it when I go to the meetings. There's a lot of camaraderie. You're around people who are uh, doing things that make you know that what I'm doing is is cutting edge and is right there with the people in the world that that know what they're doing about this. And um, uh, it's a great place. You know, the mastermind component of it is they actually have small group sessions now where the, um, you know, 15, 20 people who are really into doing this type of stuff will sit down in small group sessions and bounce ideas off each other Has a um, – you know, basically a web board uh, where you can communicate, ask questions, and bounce ideas off of other practitioners. Uh, really, really brings some community to this that it needed. You know, peptides needed some legitimization and to be brought into their traditional healthcare community.
1: And, and so, if your physician goes to International Peptide Society's website, which I. I, I I think it's internationalpeptidesociety.com or .org. I'll have that next time. Bill Seeds is going to be mad at me now. But anyway, if he goes there or she goes there, they can join, they can be trained, and they can start to prescribe peptides uh, for their patients. It all starts at the International Peptide Society. They've only trained about 300 doctors in the United States today. That's a lot, but that's a small number of physicians there's a lot more physicians that need to be aware of this because there's a lot more people that can be helped uh, by this.
2: I did a, through A4M, or American Academy of Anti-Aging and Regenerative Medicine, a um, also a peptide uh, certification, four different modules over several months there as well, which was faculty from the IPS was also present there. And it's org. Oh, is that
1: what it is? Peptide yeah. org. Okay, thank you for yeah. that. So, yeah. uh, Brad... And this is not in the uh, wheelhouse of growth hormone secretagogues, but let's go ahead and answer this question. Is BPC effective, uh, orally effective compared to a site injection?
2: You do get systemic effects from oral BPC. If I'm going specifically for a tendonitis or, you know, that type of thing, I do inject it around the site. Um, But, uh, you know, it does have systemic effects. Definitely if you're dealing with inflammatory bowel or that type of thing, I use oral. Putting it right where the problem is,
1: and this is the last question, and that is from Dylan Gutro again. Any anxiety type peptides on the way outside of Cilank?
2: Um, uh, you know, Cilank is great. You know, if it, it's you know Cmax, um, it depends on the trigger of anxiety. Um, you know, dihexa You know, there's other things that are, are popping up on the availability right now. Some of them are not commercially available. Um, but, but it's so, it's a good go to for that. But then you want to look at why is what's triggering the anxiety? It's a little more complex than just here's you've got anxiety, here's a peptide. But certainly, peptides are part of that management model, and I use them quite frequently. But, but you need to figure out what's the cause. it what, what? So, in your
1: and, and, and we're kind of getting off track here, and we only have a couple minutes. I, I whenever somebody tells me they have, pe- they have anxiety, I immediately go to. Uh, wild fluctuations of blood sugar, insulin sensitivity, uh, bouts of hypoglycemia, especially if they say the anxiety is accompanied with uh, mild uh, internal internal subjective tremor. What do you? What is your go-to when somebody goes? I have real bad anxiety.
2: Uh, you know, I like to know how what we look at a lot of the nutrigenomic world. You know, what is their um, endorphin, endocannabinoids, uh, their ability to. Uh, uh, process or their ability to process and create their own uh, GABA, serotonin, or what is their ability or inability to actually clear um, um, fight or flight neurotransmitters and try to augment those pathways to to help uh, suppress anxiety.
1: Uh, is there anything else that you want to mention before we wrap it up? I think we covered everything about growth hormone secretagogues, and I don't think people need to be ripped ripped off by by cheap uh, non functional supplements ever again.
2: I think that's the best thing to take home from today is, is that um, there's great stuff out there to be that's available for consumers. If it's really cheap, you're probably not getting what you're expecting, and it also may be putting you at risk. So please try to seek out appropriately trained uh, providers who are providing this through uh, certified uh, pharmacies to, for your own safety and benefit.
1: And now we have another pep talk coming up uh, this month on the 22nd. It's going to be about nootropic peptides. So everybody's always talking about nootropics, you know, uh, 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 choline derivatives. There are a host of peptides out there that will make your brain feel like super brain. Absolutely. I'm going to be experimenting with some of them before the show uh, that we do on the 22nd, so I'll have firsthand ability to talk about them. My favorite area. (laughs) Yeah, right? I mean, I, my stock in trade is my brain, and right. as long as I can keep that functioning, uh, I don't care if I can't walk, if I can't do things I, I want to do, as long as my brain keeps functioning, I can keep contributing. That's how I feel about it. All right. Thanks, Carl. Thank you so much, Dr. Page. We'll see you in a couple weeks, okay? All right. And that's all for today's show, uh, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. Please reach out. To me at onair at superhumanradio.net if uh, we missed anything. And if you have any suggestions for upcoming peptide shows, uh, thanks a lot. And we'll see you Monday with more Superhuman Radio.